Good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here at the church. We want to welcome those of you who are new. We want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. Was it, was it raining when you came in? Okay, all right. So just lean over to the person next to you and say, ooh, seriously, dry off. Can we do that? Um, mentor of mine said one time, from the time our children are born, we hold our hearts in our throats. And I never really knew what that meant until we were about an hour away from delivering our first child. When I say we, it was me and the nurse. I never get credit for that delivery. We were at the hospital about an hour away. There was no doctor to be found anywhere, uh, not enough time for an epidural. It was not a fun moment. And the nurse pulled me aside, and she said, listen, I have other things that I have to do right now, but they had put a, like a little probe on their, on their head. Is that what you guys do, you nurses and doctors? probe on her head, uh, monitoring her heart, her heartbeat. She said if her heartbeat goes, and I, I forget what this particular line was, if it goes below, below this line, I need you to run and get me because that's, I'm like, well, what happens? She said, well, if it goes below that, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. We're gonna, I'm like, oh, great. This is fantastic. So, uh, like, you're going to leave me here. So I'm watching the whole thing, and then I see the heart rate go down and down and down and down, and she comes in at the same time, and her eyes meet, and we see the monitor and it hits that point. And I remember I couldn't breathe. And then it went up. And it climbed up, and it climbed up, and it climbed up, and it was fine until she was born. But that moment, talk about your heart being in your throat. The other time I remember heart being in a throat, my mom diagnosed with cancer on a routine scan. It was just this freak scan that they were doing. Found a tumor in her lung. They did a biopsy, found that it was malignant, and then they said, we're going to have to go in and we're going to have to remove it. They went in and removed three-fourths of her lung. But the doctor came out, family standing there, and my grandmother in her 70s was, was there. And the doctor said, good news, we got it. We got it. And Lisa said, did you see your grandmother when, when the doctor said we got it? She just bursted out in tears, and she said, oh, thank God. And Lisa said, you know, you just never stop being a parent, do you? You know, our love for our kids drive us to make all kinds of sacrifices. Just think of the homework uh, that parents in this room have helped or done over the years. Please, your educational institutions, can you figure out a math? Go, can you go back to the old math, the way God made math to be done? Right? In the book of Genesis, it tells us how math is to be done, and it's not how you're currently doing it, right? Just think of shuttling kids back and forth to their million activities and helping pay for college and weddings and getting apartments set up and kids off on their way and waking up in the middle of the night with a colicky baby and dressing up with tea parties and having lipstick on your lips and being the class helper and the team coach and Paying for expenses, you hockey parents, man, I don't know how you do it, paying you for your hockey equipment. You know that kid's not playing for the Flyers, right? That is not going to happen, right? When I was a kid, my, my parents went out of their way to do some things for me. My mom um, loved Valentine's Day. My mom was a Pinterest mom before uh, there was Pinterest. She would just collect stuff in her basement to make crafts out of it. And like her Super Bowl was Valentine's Day at our school because every kid in our grade, it would, you were supposed to take a shoebox and then decorate it, cut a little slice on the top of it, and then people can give you their Valentines. Well, my mom stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning. I didn't even see it until I got to school. And I was like, 
behold the Valentine's box. And people were like, oh my gosh, you get that on the Smithsonian. Big, huge sail on a ship or a monkey, whatever, all kinds of crazy things. My dad loves science. I remember him helping, or shall I say, doing my science fair project, which um, was uh, um, on uh, black hole worm theory and all this kind of thing. This is when I was in seventh grade. This is a few years ago. So um, my, I go into seventh grade, right? I'm doing this project, and I'm flipping through these cards, and I'm talking about Carl Sagan's theory of black holes and on and on and on. This is the exact reaction I got out of my science teacher. He, the, I'm done. The class is silent. He doesn't say anything. He just stares at me for a moment, takes off his glasses, sets them down, begins to talk, and goes, that is how you do a science project. I'm like, yes, thank you, Dad. I don't know how many of you guys have seen this Hampton Inn commercial. It makes me think of parents. Uh, go ahead, uh, play that commercial. Staying at Hampton used to be for college football. Now you drive 300 miles to watch this. Don't get me wrong, you love flag dancing as much as the next guy. All eight hours of it. But what you really love is your little girl. Yes! Nice pop toss. Yes! You did it. You did it, right? Now there's nothing we, would do, we wouldn't do for our kids. And that could possibly be part of the problem. Um, there's a question I want all of us to wrestle with here this morning. Whether we're parents or not, you're going to be parents, or your parents or your, your, your kids are long grown up, and it's this. Is it possible that we can hurt our kids by overhelping them? Is it possible to hurt our kids by overhelping them? We're starting a new series today called Never Too Late. We're calling it that because I can't tell you how many parents I've met that have bought into this fallacy, this time-based fallacy that it's like too late for them. Like there are behaviors or problems or issues or things instilled that should have been dressed earlier and it's kind of too late. I've talked to parents of five-year-olds. They're like, oh my gosh, we made this. I'm like, the kid's five. The kid is five. Or in other situations, the kid is 25. Relax, okay? It's going to work out, right? And so we're this series is about how we serve a God that tells us it's never too late. It's never too, too late to do the things that we can do that can help our kids, regardless of the struggles they're facing, to become the young man or woman that God created them to be, whether they're two or 32. Listen, if it's entirely up to us, we're on our own. It is too late. It absolutely is too late, and that problem you're facing, too big if it's on your own. But with God's help, that's a completely different story. And Jesus, you're, you're never, ever, ever, it's ever too late. So what we're going to do is each week we're going to look at one word, okay? And this is going to get compressed, uh, uh, progressively more complex, and we're going to um, um, progressively address some thornier and more difficult issues, Okay? Now, we're not going to, this is not just for people who are parents. This is for all of us here. This is going to have, we're going to talk a lot about Christian growth and, and what that means, but I'm going to point at it and funnel it through uh, the lens of parenting. But I'm going to, we're going to talk about this word today, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the screen, and we're all going to say it out loud. Are you ready? Here's the word. One, two, three, responsibility. All right. Now, the scripture verse that I'm going to look at, now for those of you who are new, in our church services, 
roughly an hour. As we meet, what we're going to do is we're going to take part of the service, and we're always going to dedicate it to reading and then talking about and applying that particular truth from the Bible to our everyday life now in the 21st century. The verse I'm going to read is from a book called Second Thessalonians, which isn't a book, it's a letter written by a first century leader, one of the main leaders of the early church called the Apostle Paul. And he was writing to a group of Christians about the first five rows. Imagine you're the church in Thessalonica. It's a city in northern Greece, which is now called Thessaloniki. He started this little church, didn't go well, got kicked out of town, got booted out of town. Wrote this letter back because part of the church, they just up and quit their jobs. They're like, well, Jesus is going to come back, the world's going to end, why am I working? I'm not showing up to that job, I hate that job. And so they just were like lounging around for like a few weeks. Someone went and got a hold of the Apostle Paul, told him about this, he fires off this letter and explained this truth. He said this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, anyone who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now this is a principle that we're going to talk about that applies not just to human beings who don't want to work, because the Apostle Paul's basic idea back to them was, listen, we have no idea how the world's going to end and Jesus and that sort of thing. Go get your job back. Quit freeloading off of people. It's one thing if you can't work and you need help, that's when the Christian community kicks in. It's a fundamentally different thing when you can work and you don't. Now, what does this have to do with parenting? What's the underlying principle? I think there are two. The first is this. God expects each person to take responsibility for his or her, his or her own life. Now, I don't know if you know this, at the end of time... Your son or daughter is going to stand before God. So imagine this light right here is God, and your child is going to stand there. My question to you is, are you going to be like holding their hand? Like, you got this. You can do this. Believe in yourself. You've got it. Remember the awesome thing you did in the fourth grade. He'll love that, right? Is that going to happen? Not going to happen at all. Responsibility comes from that wonderful Latin word, responsum, to give an account, to give an answer for. You are going to have to stand on your own two feet before God, and God expects you to stand on your own two feet now. Now, the second thing that we learn from this passage is that if we assume responsibility for someone else's life, we hurt them, we don't help them. You want to know what the Apostle Paul's solution was? Oh, we're starving. Make the other Christ- Tell the other Christians to give us food. You know what the Apostle Paul was like? Let them starve. All they'll roll around and complain for three days, but trust me, on the fourth day, they're going to get up and they're going to get to work and take care of their own needs. I promise you. And so what I want you to do is I want you to write down 16 words, which is like the basic first thing that we have to do as parents. Sixteen words, and they're these. The goal of parenting is to make our children take responsibility for their own lives. The goal of parenting is to make our children take responsibility for our own lives. And I will just say, there's not a parent in the room who does this well. We all make mistakes. We all usually make the same two mistakes. 
And you tell me which one you're more, more prone to make. The first mistake we have a tendency to make is that we give them money for things that they should earn themselves. All right? Now, I see some heads turning around. If you're sitting next to someone, you're like, that's his mistake or hers mistake. Just kind of bump them a little bit, maybe tap on them a little bit. I remember this TV show about 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember. It was on MTV. It was called My Super Sweet 16. I don't know if you ever saw that show. show basically went like this. Wealthy parents in Hollywood uh, had kids that were 15 years old who basically would get together with their friends, and they would get together and plan what they would consider a great Sweet 16 party. I'm talking rappers. They would ask for a Mercedes-Benz. A helicopter would come in. I mean, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And so this television show was a, was a hot thing, and my kids started to watch it. And so I looked up on the website, and the website gave five tips for you to have the best Super Sweet 16 party. And I'll just read the first one. You can go, you can check them out later. But the, the first one was this. If you want four designer dresses, a pony, a celebrity performer, a 100K venue, and full fireworks display, don't sell yourself short. Don't do it. After all, you're worth it. Just stay firm, stick to your guns, and shoot your parents out-of-control death glares whenever they dare question your impeccable judgment. Next time I walked to, by the TV and that thing was on, I was like, turn that crap off. I'm not paying for that on my cable. Because I was thinking to myself, thank God I'm not like those idiotic, materialistic parents. Later that summer, I paid for our whole family to go to Honduras. And part of the time we spent at a children's home in Amoa on the coast of Honduras. And uh, I don't know, maybe about 22, 24 girls there are Carlos and Patty, missionaries there that serve. And let me just say, for those of you who are Christians, the greatest Christians, the greatest servants, the people who are really, really extraordinary in terms of their impact, trust me, they're not here in the United States. Very, they're few and far between. They're in developing countries. And Carlos and Patty was one of them. They just gave their lives just to love on these, these girls. We went, spent time with them. We stayed next door at this roach trap motel where I sat, or I slept on the floor with the nasty patrolling ants all over the place. They're crawling everywhere, all on my bed, my clothes, and, and it was slightly better than where the girls were. And so we were there and did like a little VBS teaching thing with them and um, ice cream, and it was just so much fun. It was so touching uh, to be there with our girls. Man, I should have brought some pictures for this. Um, I asked Carlos and Patty, I was like, listen, is there some place where we could just take them out to eat that they would consider a treat, something they would consider life? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, a, a friend a while back um, took them to Pizza Hut, and they really, really liked that. They really liked that. So we, um, I, think, I think you told them, we're going to Pizza Hut. And they just freaked out. Oh, we're going to Pizza Hut. So they went, got dressed up got in this, uh, a couple big vans, and then uh, we went to Pizza Hut, and I remember when we came back, and we brought, there was like three extra pizzas, and I remember walking past the kitchen, and the kids were like devouring these pizzas. I asked Carlos, I said, Carlos, 
how often, forget pizza, how often do they get to eat out? And he said, about once or twice a year. I'm like, here I am talking and thinking poorly about these Hollywood parents. I'm, I'm just as bad. How often do you go out to eat? How often do you worry about your last meal? Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And our job is not to give our children everything we didn't have in life. In fact, when I've asked our student ministry folks, what's the biggest struggle that you have with students? They'll list a number of really important things, addictions, um, uh, and interior uh, emotional struggles that people will wrestle with, peer pressure, bullying, all kinds of things. But at the top of the list that comes back, unanimous, middle school through high school, and let me just say, by the way, we have extraordinary coaches, women and men, that mentor and work with our middle school students. They meet on Wednesday night at 678, and then tonight at our high school ministries. If you don't have a kid, if you have a kid of those age, you need to get them there. It's amazing. But I asked them, what, what, do you, what would you consider the top one or maybe the core issue? What do you think it is? Across the board, an entitlement mentality. An entitlement mentality. This idea that it's just automatic that these things are going to come. Um, when our um, oldest was 12 years old, um, she was in travel soccer. We're talking a soccer program that went to a tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, sometimes Maryland. And um, we needed to get her a phone. Because you, those of you who have reached that point, if you have kids that are doing travel stuff, it's like zone defense. I mean, you're sending one kid one way and one kid another. So we needed to get her a cell phone. So she said, I really wanted one. And we said, that's great, but you're going to pay for half of it at 12. Now, I, undoubtedly, there are some new people here today. Back to fall, everybody's getting in a fall routine. We want to welcome you. We're really glad you're here. I can just envision right now there's a high school kid uh, visiting here for the first time and thinking, this church sucks so bad. This church is the worst. We are not coming back here. This is the worst. Dr. Dobson calls this temporary deprivation. And I'll just say that this, this one, the first one I'm pretty good at. The second one, I'm not good at at all. Lisa is great at. In fact, you would say, yeah, let me just sort of take over from this point on, right? Um, because you're the pushover. Because the second one is this. The second error that, error that we make is that we do things for them that, that they should do for themselves. I'm always the guy. I'm always the easy one. And uh, I'll get a text message, Dad, I forgot my basketball shoes. Or, Dad, I forgot this. Or, Dad, can you do this? I'm the one who does it. Lisa's like, you're going to play in your socks. I could care less. It'll teach you. Trust me. Our biggest mistake is that they reach an age where they could do things for themselves. Do you remember, was it an article or a show when you read that Kelly Ripa had her, what was it, her, like her seven-year-old do her laundry by herself? I just... Yeah, I remember you went out and you like, got baskets, individual baskets for the girls, different colors, and you were like, I'm not doing your laundry anymore. Congratulations. You can thank Kelly Ripa, right? I remember. <laughs> you're like, you went to the machines. You're like, here it is. You're going to do this, and you're going to pour it here, and that sort of thing. My immediate thought was, wait a minute. Does this mean you're not doing my laundry? Like, I, I don't want my own basket, right? And um, I remember, kid you not, exact line, word for word. 
one of our daughters, I forget which one, I was editing. I'm always the one that does the editing and uh, read this, dad, what would you do? And uh, uh, she was applying for a scholarship. She was in high school. She was a senior and um, uh, she was off uh, applying for a a scholarship for college. And it was really, really sweet. It was a really, it was, she talked about her family and and Lisa and her sisters and and the wonderful complimentary things about her small group coach here and the ministry and all the coaches and the mission. Tra- oh, my gosh. The transformation that occurs in a kid's life. I mean, honestly, I, I please, please get your kids involved in our student ministry. She went on and on and on. And, but then there's this line, and I remember it to the T. It was this. I wrote it down. And this, this is an essay written about her life. But I do not want to give you the impression that everything was easy because it wasn't. Because my parents made me work for things. And then she went on and on and on. And I gave this back to her and I'm like, honey, the way you're writing this is like you grew up in the, the mean streets of South Philly. You're up in Collegeville. Like, like I said, if you wanted to ride in the car, you needed to pay for some of the gas. So I made you get a job at Giant. Okay, this isn't like the world's going to come to an end. I remember one time she called me, texted me, Dad, I got a flat tire going into school. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, how, how, I, 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 I don't have time for, okay, when can, when can I meet you there? And she said, Dad, just come and just change the tire. I don't have to be there. And I said, I'm not going to change the tire for you because you need to learn how to change a tire. And so the car is going to stay parked there until you, par- until you change the tire yourself. And I said, I'll, I'll meet you there, and I'll show you how to do it. She said, fine, make sure you're there between 245 and 305 because I've got to get to my practice. So it showed up 245. And uh, I said, to get the tire, and then there's this little kit that's somewhere, let's find it. She was driving this whole jalopy, and, and we found it, and she needed to jack it up. And the whole time she's doing this, I'm walking around, and I'm looking at these cars, and I'm thinking, this is the, in the senior lot at Spring Ford, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they all drive nice, nicer cars than me. Have you driven there? I'm like, I'm, off. I'm friends with all of these people. How do they afford this? How in the world do they afford this? I'm going to do something, okay? I have a little quiz, but it necessitates you getting next to someone, getting close to someone. I'm going to list different things that children may or may not need to do in your house. And what you're going to do is you're going to say, yes, they should do that, or no, they shouldn't do that. And at what age should they start doing that? And then you're going to get together. I'm going to give you 10 seconds as a group, and then I'm going to call it out. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Get in your group. Here we go. Children that are, let's say, 17 and younger, should they clean up after themselves? Get with your group. Yes or no, and at what age? you got 10 seconds. Go. All right, 10 seconds up. Yes or no? Yes, and at what age? Hold it. Two. Two. Who is that cold-blooded human being over there? All right. I don't know. how. Did you, can you pull that off? All right, dude. You need to be up here teaching, not me. Here we go. Um, household chores. Listen, these are not chores that they're paid for. Like you do this, and then you get paid. This is, you get, you're a person in this house. You get to be in this house. It's called congratulations. You get food and a place to sleep. Uh, and so you're going to do these chores. Everybody's going to have chores. And at yes or no, and what age? Go, really fast. 
All right, 10 seconds up. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, and at what age? Okay, I heard 10? Do you keep, if you keep giving me two, I swear, really? Okay, all right, here we go. Next one, paying for entertainment expenses. Mom or dad or grandma, I want to go to the movies. I want to go to a concert. Uh, I want to go to a game. I'm going to need some food money. I'm going to need some gas money. I'm going to need to do this and this and this and this and this. You've got 10 seconds. All right, yes or no? Yes, and what age? Hold on, I hear 13, 12, 14. Well, you would definitely say at the point where they're definitely a little bit older, right? So middle school, definitely by high school at least, we'll say that. All right, paying for clothes. All right, we will do this as a group. Paying for clothes, should they pay for their clothes, yes or no? Ah, got you there, right? It was our thing, we'll do big things, like back to school, we'll do Christmas and Easter and stuff like that. But in between, dude, if you want to go to Primark or wherever you're going, you're going to come up with cash. All right? All right, here we go. Last one. Paying for a cell phone. Yes or no? I hear a lot of reluctance there. Yes or no? And at what age? Okay, now look at this list. Just look at this list for a second. How many of you nailed this? I would say we got some of it, mainly because of me, not because of you, but me. I would say because of her. What we did well was because of her. But what I look back on when I, when I think about it as a parent, the times I regret are the times that there were opportunities to get them to do these things and I chose not to do them. Now, why don't we do these? Why don't we make them do that? I would say first and foremost, honestly, because we're just flipping tired. We're exhausted. It's just easier than to, you know, to teach a lesson or to, you know, if your kid is older and you know there's going to be some give and take, you're like, crap, who cares? You're just dolling out money or something like It's just easier to do that because you're exhausted. The other thing is, is you don't want to get into an argument. You know, when your kids get old enough and you, have a, you know there's going to be, if they're a strong-willed person, they're going to give you some pushback. That's part of what disciplining uh, is. And sometimes you're just like, honestly, I just don't want to go through that again. I just, I'll just clean it up myself, or I will just take care of it myself. But the thing is, what happens when we don't force our children to assume responsibility for their own lives? We keep paying for everything, and we keep doing everything. It's that we rob them of the opportunity to develop creativity and initiative. We just steal it from them. We are stealing these opportunities that build them into who God is wanting them to become because we're doing this stuff for them. I remember when my daughter uh, was going through one of these little collectible phases that little kids go through. I don't know what these little things were. Uh, she's 19 now, so this, gosh, this would have been 15 years ago. What these little collect, she like got a whole bag of them. And she was four, and it got to the point where I was like, I'm not buying any more of those things. Dad, I really want them. I'm like, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to make some money. And I gave her a little, a little business lesson. I said, there are three ways to make money. You can make something that you sell. You can take something else that someone else makes, and you can sell their thing 
Or you can do something for someone else that's called a service. You can wash a car, cut a lawn, that's a service. You can take someone else's lemonade and sell that. Or you can go make something in the backyard or something, and you can go and you can give it. I said, but the thing is, is it's your choice. If you want money, you have the resources. Go do one of those three things and make some money. I completely forgot about it. Four o'clock at the end of the day, her and her friend Juliet come through the door with this green wicker basket that's empty. She said, Dad, I made $42. (laughs) Like, well, what did you do? She said, well, I just went down to the basement and I just picked up stuff. (laughs) And we've been going around to every single house in the neighborhood. I said, well, what did you get? What did you sell from the basement? She said, you know those things? I'm like, wait a minute, did you sell my tools? (laughs) 42 bucks, true story, true story. (laughs) I love what Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple, what Steve Jobs, co-founder, I love what he said. He said, listen, all the best things I did at Apple came from A, not having money, and B, not having done it before. Think about that. So to summarize, the whole goal of parenting, the starting point, the goal of parenting is to make our children take responsibility for their own lives. Let's pray. What a privilege it is, God, to have had parents. What a privilege it is uh, to impact, either directly or indirectly, kids that are being shaped and formed. We just look forward to the way you're going to use them We are so thankful that in Christ, when we are weak, you are strong. When we fail, you succeed. When we don't know what to do, there's your wisdom. And most importantly, there's a community of support with one another. God, we're so, so thankful for the privilege that we have to impact people who are going to be impacting people in the future. God, just help us to not rob them of the opportunities that they need to face and overcome, to become the people that you're calling them to become. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.